Hello, everyone, and welcome to Navigating the Noise, a podcast series brought to you by CHPA, the Corporate Housing Providers Association, with support from ASAP, the Association of Service Department Providers. I'm Brian David Johnson, your futurist and the host of the podcast. And I'm Marianne Passy, CEO of CHPA. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 9 of Navigating the Noise, where we're going to look at buildings of tomorrow. We're going to look at the built environment. So what, what's coming down the line when we think about building materials, how buildings will be built, how they will be retrofitted, where they will be going? We're really going to kind of dig into this area because the built environment certainly is incredibly important for this industry and where things are going. But we're not only going to look at what's happening today, we're also going to look at what does all this mean when it comes to the future? Well, there are some smart buildings. We know smart buildings are coming. They're here. And members are looking for these smart real estate partners. Some members are actually investing in real estate and developing buildings that are multi-purpose and incorporating technology into all the common and individual spaces in, in those new buildings. So as we do in all of our episodes, we'll examine this subject from multiple angles, getting different perspectives and ideas on the subject in general, and how it may apply specifically the future of corporate housing and longer-term rentals. The podcast is broken into three segments. First comes the road ahead, where we will explore futures research, looking outside the industry at the bigger picture. And to do this, we'll bring on a guest who works in this area, has an interesting perspective, or may have done some research in this area. And then James Voice with ASAP and I have gone out and we found corporate housing providers and service department uh, operators and their partners, uh, really global industry thought leaders, and we've asked their perspective on what they're seeing happening and putting the theoretical into the, into the realistic um, of every day. And finally, we'll discuss the pragmatic steps you can take today to prepare for the future in our final segment called Three Things to Do. And with mm-hmm. that, let's get started. Welcome to section one of the podcast. We call this the road ahead. So as we imagine the buildings of tomorrow, Marianne and I are going to look at that road ahead and think about what would the impact be on materials, on technology, location, vendors, retrofits. There's a whole world around the built environment. And certainly as we look at this built environment, it is very, very important for this industry and this sector. Now, I think there's something that's interesting when we approach buildings of tomorrow is to think about the buildings of the past. So many things about buildings really haven't changed that much. If you think about what we've been doing with buildings for hundreds of years, they're very, very similar. But I also think, and what we're going to do on the show is look at, well, what are those certain things? What are those technologies? What are those new ways of thinking? What are ways of of retrofitting and changing these buildings so that we can take the buildings of today and turn them into the buildings of tomorrow? Or how can we conceptualize the buildings that we're going to build in the future and to make sure that they're around for a long period of time? It's a really rich subject, but something I think that is really important for the industry. So to get us started, Marianne and I have brought a guest onto the podcast. We want to welcome to the show Lauren Dallabella. She is the president of SHP, a design, architecture, and engineering firm in Cincinnati, Ohio. She is the first woman to hold the position of being president in her firm's 100-plus year history. Lauren has spearheaded the development of SHP's nationally recognized engagement process, the firm's deep commitment to sustainability, and most recently, the formation of the Nine Billion Schools Movement and Nonprofit Institute for Research and advocacy. Lauren, welcome to Navigating the Noise. Hi guys, it's great to be with both of you. So 
On this episode, Lauren, we are looking at the future of buildings. We're looking at the future, it could be materials or how we build buildings, uh, the financing, just the future of buildings in general. And certainly with your background at SHP and your background in this industry, and you've got a very long list of affiliations and boards that you serve on, so you're certainly a, a, an expert in this area. So Marianne and I wanted to ask you, so in the past, how have you seen buildings change? So as you've as you seen change, what's been good? What's been bad? When you kind of think about the, that, that change in buildings, what, what have you seen? Well, I think that the building industry or the design industry construction, um, most of the changes that have occurred in the industry have really been about change in technology, change in resource availability, change in the availability of laborers, skilled craftsmen. So there have been a variety of outside forces that have changed the industry. And the things that were impacting what we were doing in buildings 100 plus years ago versus what we're doing today and the changes that we see coming are really not all that different. Oh, interesting. So what are the, some of those factors? What, what are those, those main drivers of change? Well, today, obviously, technology is a huge driver of change. Uh, technology, not only in terms of how we put buildings together, how we construct buildings, but in terms of how that impacts the availability of materials, uh, the content of those materials, as well as how it's influencing um, the labor force. And, you know, we've seen in terms of labor through the years, a reduction in the kind of skilled craftsmen that we relied on so heavily many years ago. And so those um, skills that were brought to the table are now being replicated in other ways, or we're actually not seeing those skills represented in buildings anymore. So when you think about, you know, walking into an, an old European cathedral that's 500 years old, and what you see in terms of the design and the construction of that versus, you know, walking into um, a brand new facility today, I mean, that would be sort of the obvious representation of those kinds of changes. The other thing that is having a huge impact on uh, the building industry is just the massive amount of global population growth. And that's something that is going to, I think, change the industry completely because opportunity or challenges or problems or however you want to look at what it means to try to meet that population growth requires innovation in the way that we're going to approach design and construction going forward. So do you think that that, so meeting that, that demand and sort of innovation around that, what, what, what are some more innovations in that? So as you said, there's, there's the innovations in the sort of buildings themselves. Are there innovations in location, in financing? It seems like, you know, especially the audience for, for the podcast is an international audience. Mm -hmm. And so they're beginning to see that demand kind of change. What, what are those areas for innovation? I know you've got a deep commitment to that and not only for your firm, but also for the industry have kind of worked in that area. What, what are some of those, those innovations? And Lauren, before you answer that, if I could add a follow-up too, are you seeing changes in the innovations globally, depending on location or locale? Sure. Um, I think that I'm not really the right expert to speak to the issue of finance. So I would leave that to someone else because I think that is going to be a huge challenge going forward. The American Institute of Architects has um, estimated that by 2060, 
we will have doubled the amount of square footage that we have in buildings across the globe today. So it's an, about two and a half trillion additional square feet of buildings. And to put that in context, what that looks like is building an entire New York City in 34 days, every 34 days for the next 40 years. So, I mean, that is just overwhelming when you think about the demand for resources and the impact of that kind of construction uh, across the globe over the next you know, 40 years. I think that we're going to suffer from a lack of labor, which is going to then produce a variety of new technologies relative to how buildings get constructed. And we're, you know, we're already seeing that with 3D printing. We've, you know, everybody has seen some of the 3D printing of buildings or parts of buildings. I think we're going to see a much higher degree of prefabrication going on in the industry, either through the manufacturing process or during the construction process. Um, we're going to see um, a huge, huge growth in the city. So when you talk about land and um, what this construction is going to look like, that would imply that we're going to go up as rather than go out. The, the biggest issue, I think the single biggest issue revolving around all of this really comes back to whether or not um, you believe in climate change and the importance of reducing our carbon footprint. Buildings right now are contributing 40% of the greenhouse gases um, that we're dealing with in our atmosphere. And so you, know, you can imagine the impact of that on um, the health of our cities, the health of our population and things like that. So, you know, within the industry, those are big issues that we're dealing with, trying to reduce the carbon footprint of our buildings, um, trying to anticipate what it would mean to meet the Paris Accord uh, requirements, you know, whether the U.S. is in it or not. So there are so many different factors right now that all aspects of the industry are dealing with. And robotics is you know, is a huge issue. There's um, robotic bricklaying equipment now. There are um, a variety of other assist types of um, technology that are being used in building construction today. Yeah, that's a that's a some startling and, and amazing figures that mm -hmm. that from the built environment. I mean, one thing is what you're saying, Lauren, is that if we think about buildings and as we think about the future of buildings where things are going the probably the most important thing is there's just going to be more just a whole lot more just buildings the built environment itself so much more and then trailing behind that is as you said is the uh, the impact on the environment the impact on the labor force and how how technology can be used to 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 push that forward let me ask you as you look out into the future as you kind of think about where things could go you know certainly they've you know, it's not set. I think we know a few things that we're going to need more and more of the built environment. Certainly, we know that technology will, as you said, continue to drive these changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, beyond just sustainability, where would you like to see things going as you think about the future of buildings, of the built environment? How would you like to see things change? Well, I think in general, we just have to be much, much more efficient in the way we are using all of our resources, because there are only so many resources on the planet. And 
that whether you think of that in sustainable terms or in some other terms, whether those are people resources or space or, or however you look at it, um, there's right now the um, amount of renovation that is occurring in buildings amounts to a half to 1% of all of the construction that is occurring globally across the US. So I think we're gonna have to see buildings that are constructed to last, you know, much like we had uh, a couple hundred years ago, as opposed to some of the more disposable architecture that we have today, particularly in things like the retail segment. And buildings that are constructed to last, buildings that can be renovated, um, space that can be adapted for other uses, that has the flexibility to be adapted for other uses so that we're not just tearing things down and, and replacing them. I think it's it's going to be an effort, you know, kind of in all of those directions, and we're probably going to see more and more uh, whatever the future of virtual reality is, sort of replacing some types of environments because we just won't be able to build that fast. Right. Well, yeah, and that's uh, that's it's an interesting point around sort of building, sort of purpose-built buildings mm-hmm. and, and buildings that may even have an expiration date, like you said, retail. Um, so I wonder, Marianne, from a um, from a housing standpoint, do, do you see maybe that as as providers and people are building these houses, are they building them to last, or do we thinking, or are they so purpose built that that it really is kind of a short term idea? That that's something I think that that's quite new to the podcast that we've not really mm-hmm. had that conversation. That's true. So I'm not sure that I can answer that question specifically, but I thought you know Lauren's point about building a building to last and then renovating it. I think we, we've talked to some podcast guests about retrofitting current right, buildings. Right. So making the most of that. And, you know, Lauren, I think it goes to your point about um, not using additional resources, but um, using what we already exists and somehow making that evolve with, um, evolve to the needs of the future. So I've, I've heard more people talk about that. Although um, from a provider member perspective, there are more of them getting into the building of real estate and looking at what type of buildings that they actually create, where in, traditionally in the past, the industry has just focused in residential buildings that exist. There are now more being built. Right. So I think a lot of this information that you're sharing, Lauren, and, and the information on these podcasts will help inform those decisions moving forward. Uh, definitely an interesting challenge to the industry mm-hmm. and the industry, the industry that is then building, that is working with architects and design firms, much like Lauren's company, that saying that as you do a build an environment, think about what that environment's going to be like 10 years from now. Right, in order to be lasting instead and exactly. not to be disposable. Which I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thing, I think, for us to kind of mm-hmm. push down in on. Lauren, let me ask you, so, uh, so one last question is, um, and it's a pretty simple one. As you said, so technology being a big mover, demand being a big mover, certainly resources. Um, going back to the tech side, what is myself being a technological futurist? I have to ask this. So when it comes to the future buildings, what is the technology that makes you most excited? that makes you most hopeful for where we could go with the future of buildings? Wow, that, that's a great question. I think you know, that the anything that is potentially related to being able to produce things quicker and better with less resources is going to be really exciting. And I, I think those things are coming. Uh, I also believe that a lot of the technologies that we're using today just sort of, um, 
at the surface level, but we'll be using more and more going forward are the collaborative technologies that really get designers and builders um, and manufacturers engaged in a much more holistic conversation so that, uh, that we're making decisions together as opposed to just handing the decisions kind of down the line uh, as the process moves from design to manufacturing to construction. And I think that's, that's really exciting. That will give us many more opportunities going forward. In the US, I think we have to start um, looking at some of the things that are going on in the rest of the world in terms of innovation, because there is uh, quite a bit more innovation going on in other places. Some of it is driven by necessity. Some of it is driven by a willingness to take a more risk than we are typically willing to take in the U.S. Our, our codes and our zoning laws and things like that are fairly tight. Um, and not to say that we should be doing anything that would impact safety and security, because I think that's another thing that we're going to see more and more and more emphasis on going forward. I was just going to go back to a point that Lauren brought up, and I thought that was really interesting. So instead of in the whole design and building phase, everyone doing their part their piece of it and then handing it off to the next person in the in the chain or in the line um, actually collaborating working together to design it and then implement it I mean that seems critical to just building anything I would think that's going to be built to last and evolve with the needs of the future and even from a workforce standpoint that's mm -hmm. one of the conversations that we've had in, a, in another episode where you begin to see a workforce and a labor force that's coming up that wants to be uh, collaborative, involved. that wants mm -hmm. to be involved, that wants to be a part of the process. And with this idea that in the future we're going to need more of a built environment, certainly. So having people involved in more steps and also understanding that the longevity of those steps, I think, is a really valuable takeaway from, mm -hmm. from what, what Lauren has, uh, has brought to us. Well, sure. Lauren Delabella, thank you so much for joining us on Navigating the Noise and to talking about the, the future of buildings. We could talk to you all day, but uh, we really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Lauren. Welcome, everyone, to the What Matters section of the podcast, where we take the broad futures that Marianne and I have just explored and figure out what matters to CHPA members, as well as corporate housing and longer-term rental industries. So James Voice for this section, James Voice from the Association of Service Department Providers, or ASAP, and I have gone out to find corporate housing providers and service department providers um, and their partners global thought leaders in our industry to bring you the reality of what's important to you and your companies. So these are people like you who are taking this information, using it, and putting it into action. So who have you brought for us today? Who's our, who's our first guest? Our first guest today is George Westwell. So George is a director of London-based service department owner and operator Cheval Residences. George has been engaged in the hospitality sector for more than 40 years, and he's worked in various roles for major companies including ICG, Metropole, and Hilton, predominantly in London. He joined Cheval in 2004 as Group General Manager and was invited to join the board in 2005. As well as being responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the business, George has been heavily involved in the design and development of a number of Cheval residences during his tenure, and this includes the recently opened Cheval Three Quays, which I have been in, and it is lovely. Um, George is a fellow also of the Institute of Hospitality. Hello, George. Hi, good day. 
Thanks for joining us, George. So, George, you're joining us from, from north of London. And on this episode of Navigating the Noise, we're looking at the, the future of buildings, sort of the buildings of tomorrow. So, Marianne and I first wanted to ask you, you know, what have you seen in the past few years that has struck you as new and innovative when it comes to buildings? Well, I guess the first thing I've seen is things like Zoku in Amsterdam, where the designers and developers have tried to create something magical in a space. Um, they, they've got things like uh, the bed is on almost like a mezzanine level, and the staircase that accesses the bed pulls out and it pushes back again later to, to save space. So they've been very creative in, in how they've used the space. The downside of it is that the model doesn't seem to be very scalable because they need a 3.3 meter floor to ceiling height to make this work. But on the other side, the other thing that I've really seen a, a trend occurring is that I've seen a compression in room size and an expansion in what I would call the community areas. So bedrooms, you know, literally as, as small as 12 square meters, but often 16, maybe 20 square meters, very limited facilities. But then you go down into that communal area and there's, there's food offerings, there's beverage offerings, workspaces, little places where you can go and have meetings. And, and I think that's something which we're going to see a lot more of. And of course, that also brings with it, you know, multitasking staff that, you know, don't have one function. They, they literally are there to look after the guests, help the journey and, and really make it an experience for them. Well, and George, I think that's interesting because it's it's a little kind of counterintuitive, I think, maybe mm -hmm. for some people to think that the living space, you shrink it. But that means that the experiential space, when we've talked about this on the podcast before, yeah. that people are focusing more and more on experience. So, yeah, I think that's a it's an interesting s twist on in kind of how the buildings are being laid out. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be what I'm hearing from other members as well, that people are looking for a sense of community. And so they're developing a sense of a community outside of the actual living space in the buildings that they're in. And so um, in these multi-purpose buildings, um, they're just creating space for people to work. People can work anywhere these days. And so they're giving them this space to do that and the space to be social. Right, right. So, George, we also wanted to, we also wanted to ask you, so as you're kind of looking out and you're kind of planning for the future and thinking of the future, as you see these innovative things that are going on now, what are you doing and planning for the future? What are you kind of working on? And what do you, th what do you think is coming and what are you doing to prepare? Well, I think what we're doing to prepare for it is that we're actually creating some sub-brands because our core brand is a five-star Cheval residence here in London, which are very large apartments. But recognizing the trend that we've just seen now, we're looking at creating sub-brands to actually cater for those. And, and the key for us is to be creative. So, you know, how can we not just create the spaces, but how can we get the community that are staying with us to engage? And there's, there's a lot of thought going into when you've got strangers. I mean, there's, I think there's a, this uh, terminology now where you've got isolated guests, where they, they don't talk to each other, but they sit at the same table, all open their computers, get on and work, sit next to each other, have coffees or beers, but they just don't talk. So how do you actually engage those customers so you can find a way for them actually to become friends, become neighbors? And, and I think finding new ways and creative activities to make that happen is gonna be one of our keys to successes. So recognizing the 10 trend, we're gonna prepare by creating new brands. And then I think the other key thing that we've got to really look at is technology, because all of this is underpinned by technology because everybody wants everything on their iPad, on their phone, on their computer, and they want it now. So we have to look how we can combine that, that functionality of 
a space where I can live, a space where I can work, with a space that I can merge technology to really add that extra experience and value to the guests whilst they're with us. And that's one of the things that has come up several times on the podcast around navigating the noise is the, the focus on people as well, mm-hmm. right? I think that's one of the things as we talk about the future, and I think that's interesting when you're thinking about the future of buildings, and certainly it's about the people in those buildings and how are you kind of facilitating that experience, whether that experience be with technology or whether mm-hmm. that experience be just getting them to sit next to a stranger, which sometimes, you know, as many of us have traveled, right, you know, sometimes you do want to be by yourself and isolated, but also sometimes you might want to be in those kind of common areas. But mm-hmm. I think that when you think about the future and even the future of buildings and understanding that it's the experience that people are having inside of it. And I think a lot of people think about the future and think of tech as the future, but they don't necessarily think of the personal aspect of it. And that's, that's George, you know, your point about trying to create some kind of activities where they can engage socially with each other instead of just sitting next to each other and working on their computer and never bothering to talk to each other and make them feel a part of that community is is really interesting. And that's what I think people um, are struggling with, either as they travel, struggling with uh, relocating to a new city and being able to have these connections, and also um, uh, providers um, that are creating these new spaces or trying to create these opportunities in spaces that exist. Um, That's something that a lot of companies are grappling with right now. Yeah, and I think it's a valuable thing to think about that sort of as we move into the future, being able to kind of get that balance, the balance mm-hmm. between technology and the balance between that, that human experience. Uh, yeah, really, really interesting. So, hey, George, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I think some really, really interesting uh, insights as we're thinking about the future of buildings and where things are going. So, so thank you so much. My pleasure. So as we explore the buildings of tomorrow, Marianne, who's, who's our next guest to help us dig, dig a little bit deeper into this? Our next guest is Sean Miller, and he's the president of Point Central, a subsidiary of Alarm.com. Sean is focused on retrofitting residential buildings um, and the Internet of Things. So he's got a great perspective to share with us today. Great. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So let's just get right into it. So one of the questions that we wanted to ask you was, so how can corporate housing providers put smart technology in place when they don't own their own buildings? Yeah, great question. So the easiest way to answer is to think about what do people actually want and what Point Central's done is also combined, where is there a benefit to the property manager, whether they own the asset or not, and showing a value to the owner and to themselves. The categories we see that generally fall in is ther- connected thermostats, locks, light switches, cameras, and then a little bit even now of some of these new emerging voice assistants that have started to become very popular. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we've actually talked about on on the Mm -hmm. show uh, is about this focusing on ROI, like find those places where you can see the benefit and you can get things from it um, and use that as a way to kind of start kind of on this path to to putting this tech in buildings. What What have you heard out there, Marianne? Um, everything that Sean mentioned, um, smart appliances, uh, I really think that some things that our members are doing, and we touched on it in episode or season one, um, are the voice-assisted speakers. So uh, people are starting to play around with those. Uh, we're actually starting to do that as part of our events as well. Um, it's They're just trying to get a handle on uh, how to use them best in areas when or in the apartments when people are visiting or when they're living in them for a while and seeing if they can use them the same way they're using them in their own homes. Right. But and so, Sean, and kind of a follow on to that is so how can 
these folks, how can they retrofit? Like, so if you think about, you've got all this smart tech, right? So really, how can you get smart tech into old buildings? Yeah. So all the categories that Marianne and myself just mentioned, the nice thing is all of those can be done in existing buildings without needing huge amounts of labor. Uh, so for point central systems, when we go in, we typically install deadbolt that replaces a standard deadbolt, a thermostat replaces standard thermostat. Lighting can easily be controlled with plug-in modules, voice assistants plug into the wall. Uh, video cameras are the only thing that may require a little bit, especially the, the hot category there is video doorbells. A video doorbell, you do have to replace an existing doorbell and put a new one on most of the time. But it's low voltage and, and, and not the most difficult thing to do. So for the most part, it can be retrofitted into existing buildings, usually for you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes is what we see a core system takes to be installed um, and not a lot of external help. Oh, 25 minutes. So what do you think is the, to, that surprises me a little bit when you think about putting these in. So what do you think is sort of the biggest mis misconception? So when we think about you know corporate housing providers or anybody who wants to put this tech in, like, I think for many, they seem, well, it's technology, it might So be, it's going to be expensive. Right, it might take mm -hmm. a long time. So right. what, what are some other sort of misconceptions do you think people have, Sean? Yeah, from the, from the property manager standpoint, it's definitely, this is going to be expensive, it's going to be out of date in one year, two years, how do I, you know, I don't know how to set this stuff up and manage it. So again, I think that's where the benefit of looking for a system that was designed that points out what we say for an enterprise, right? So an IoT platform that is going to manage all these things, who gets to control what, when, what the status is, how it all happens, all for the property manager in the background mm -hmm. um, and do it at a relatively affordable cost. And that's that's where I want to take my, my, my final question. But I, now I'm looking at Marianne and say, we need to remember that when we do the section three of this podcast, right? The, sort of what to do next, that mm -hmm. idea of an enterprise system. I think that that's a really helpful thing, Sean, that it may not just be you can go out and uh, just buy something at the local electronics store or buy something offline, that understanding that there is that difference between sort of what a consumer can do and maybe just think about sort of from an mm -hmm. enterprise standpoint what that might look like. Okay. So, all right, Sean, so my, my final question, and it flips to kind of what you were saying before around people, so the guests. So do you think that guests will soon expect that all of this tech will be in all buildings, not just new buildings? Uh, definitely. So if you look at uh, households overall, about a third of households today have at least two smart home devices in it. Uh, people who are in rental households, whether it's long-term rental or corporate housing, um, have had some barriers. How do I get this installed? What will my landlord think, et cetera? But they're seeing all their friends and family members get this tech in. And as this starts to penetrate into the rental property world, it just is going to become an expectation because the, the renter sees this, they see the convenience it brings, mm -hmm. they see the added safety, and there's also benefits like the thermostat that helps them save 10 to 15% a month on their electricity bill. And everyone's trying to be you know, conscientious of the environment and saving a little bit of money also helps uh, make that message strong. So overall, we do see uh, a lot of pent up demand from the residents looking for this type of tech. Well, and I think in, in, I think we've even seen as we've been talking to folks and certainly my work as a futurist that it's you've kind of got that balance, right? As you think about buildings of the future where one is what's the ROI? What's the back end? Is it saving me money? Is it making me more secure? Is it doing mm -hmm. that? But then, as you say, Sean, the other side of it is, is that level having that tech in a building, especially going into the future, that that level of tech won't be a nice to have. It starts to become a requirement that mm -hmm. if you don't have it, need to have. then yeah, then it's just people aren't going to want to stay there. Exactly. Then they're yeah. not going to come yep. to you.
And if I could add to that, they won't want to stay there. And think of how you run the buildings of the future. A lot mm-hmm. of people today, there's this shift in how we're working and where we're finding workers. And the reality is this tech can help augment things. So you have trained technicians that know when to go repair an HVAC unit or a leaking faucet before the resident is complaining and you get a bad review online, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all helping to shift the work to be more proactive and predictive. Uh, and I think it's, it's also part of the operator's future, right, of how they'll just run their buildings. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we talked about early on in the in the show in our first segment is this notion. Of, I've done some work in something called sentient tools, which is this idea of just having, you know, it goes kind of what comes after smart buildings is this idea. And so imagine having a, a, a building that kind of knows when it's going to break and knows when it's having a problem. And, and that might sound a little bit science fiction-y, but I think just as you said, for many people, that's the reality. And wow, imagine that guest experience when that building, this building of the future, all of a sudden knows it's going to break before it breaks. What a wonderful experience, not only from a convenience standpoint, also from mm-hmm. a safety and security standpoint as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we've heard some of our uh, associate partner companies that provide um, appliances and things for uh, corporate housing and service departments. They've said they've moved to that smart washers, smart coffee makers. When When is the heating element going to burn out? And they know that before someone gets up to go make coffee in the morning. Sean, Sean Miller, thank you so much for joining us here on, on the podcast. Your perspectives and really getting us to understand what those buildings of the future might look like and what gets put in them and, and what technology could go in and, and should go in was, I think, really helpful to uh, our audience. Um, and so we really appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Thank you both. So Marianne, as we continue to explore the buildings of tomorrow, who's the next guest you brought for us? We have Mindy Teo as the Vice President of Brand and Marketing and Digital Innovation for the Ascot Limited. Mindy leads the department that drives innovation in areas of Ascot's digital strategy, innovation culture, collaborations and partnerships, new business models and disruptions. She also leads Ascot's latest serviced residence brand, Life, which will which was launched, sorry, in late 2016 for the Millennials and the Millennial Minded. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Thank you. So, Mindy, we're very excited to have you on the podcast today because, as we said, we're talking about buildings of tomorrow. And we are both, Marianne and I are both fascinated by your project life Um, because it sounds like as we're talking about the buildings of tomorrow, it sounds like (laughs) you're making those buildings today. Mm -hmm. And we're really fascinated. So what was the process you went through to envision that and to go about building those and putting together that project? Um, well, I think when you talk about buildings, it's about building for the end user, the customer. Um, so because this brand was targeted um, more at the millennial segment, what we did was we had a task force that crossed over different departments in Ascot. So we had brand and marketing, we had operations, we also had people from the design team um, and business development, and they came together and, you know, we had several brainstorming sessions about what we wanted for a product that was differentiated for millennials. We also did surveys of existing customers in that in that segment to see what they wanted. So, for instance, we found out, you know, they were okay to have less facilities within their apartment. They could do without the kitchen within the apartment, but it was okay to share the kitchen with other people. And at the same time, there are some things that they wouldn't give away, like they wanted to have the bathroom within the apartment, no shared bathrooms, because they don't want to feel like it's a dormitory or a hostel. So. That's the process we went through. It's very much um, design thinking centered, very much a customer centric, customer led process. Um, so through that, and you know, we have 
built prototypes. We've had potential customers come in to comment on those prototypes. Um, and that's why we have this Living Lab collaboration with one of the universities in Singapore, uh, where we have a 24-7 co-working space where we test concepts of life, um, such as the co-working spaces, the social kitchen, um, and these are open to the university students and um, graduate students to use. And then from there, we get valuable data points that we use to fine-tune the product and the design to make sure that we get something that's, um, that appeals to the target segment. So one thing we found is that um, it's really about flexible use, multi-purpose space, um, instead of designing spaces for single use. So that's one of the key learning points that we got out of the process. Well, and I want to I go back a little bit. That's, that's incredible. That It sounds like it was not only kind of people-centric design and, as you say, design thinking, but it also sounds fiercely collaborative on your end, on the organization's end, that you brought mm-hmm. together lots of different people from across the organization to be able to kind of think mm-hmm. about this and, and build it out. I, I want to uh, ask, Mindy, aside from the idea that people would give up their kitchen, but they want their bathroom, were there any other findings that you thought were kind of interesting or unexpected? Um, I think uh, what they wanted was, you know, they would like shared co-working spaces. So it's a lot more social. Um, and I think also they, they were more interested in the programming that we bring into the space. So beyond the physical product, it's also about the experience we could deliver. So that's one key point that came over because people are starting to work, uh, mix work and leisure. They call it leisure, business and leisure. So they would come, you know, for a few days for work and they would stay on for a few more days for leisure. So we needed to make sure the spaces uh, were both allowed for serious work and fun play as well. So that's one of the key points that came out as well. That's amazing. And I, I can't wait to see it as they come more and more online. Let me ask you this. So it does sound like you're really actively thinking about the future and thinking about these markets. So as you're planning for the future, what are you thinking about? What do you think is coming and what are you doing to prepare for it? Um, well, I think when you talk about the future, it's hard to run away from you know technology. So definitely a lot more um, disruption on the technology front. So we're always looking to see how we can improve um, the customer experience. We can streamline our operations with the use of technology. So I think it's really about how we take a fail-fast, fail-cheap approach, um, how we pilot solutions quickly on a small scale before we roll them out regionally and globally. So one key area we're looking at is energy management because a lot of our properties that we operate, they're owned by third-party owners. Um, So at the end of the day, it's about what type of returns you can give them in return for the investment in such technology. So uh, we're looking at things like smart thermostats, um, for the AC, occupancy sensors, um, to really optimize the energy consumption in our buildings. Um, we're also looking at solutions like facial recognition, um, chatbots, mobile keys, so we can have you know smoother digital check-in experience for guests that stay at our properties. Um, and for life, because it's a new brand, we're also launching a mobile application to integrate you know all these capabilities for the guests. Um, including payment, check-in, and they can communicate with our guest service officers and other guests as well. So it really helps to build that community um, with the app as a tool. Um, We're working with partners like Samsung to put in um, latest technology like the Samsung Flip Collaborative Screens um, so that our guests, um, if they're project teams, they can brainstorm using these tools. But at the end of the day, um, technology is really just an enabler. So it's still very much about the experiential stay that we can deliver to the guests um, to keep them coming back to us. So it's also really about the hardware, um, what type of events we have for our guests, 
Um, so, for instance, in life, we have weekly events. Um, it's a lot more um, exciting compared to the typical service residence because we have we could have happy hour Fridays with free flow beer and DJ spinning. Um, we also have more you know serious TED talks, hackathons, um, evening chats with filmmakers, um, culinary classes, movie nights. So it's really about the social programming that we bring into the space um, to make it more exciting for the guests. Um, and and then we can maintain a competitive edge because otherwise it becomes very commoditized. Yeah, that's one of the things that, that we've heard throughout the podcast is being able to not mm-hmm. only bring in technology and focus on people, but really create those social spaces, those ways for people to interact with mm-hmm. each other and the ability to to kind of meet new people and be around people or maybe have a group of people and have them come together to get really creative about those spaces I think is really interesting. And Mindy, what we've heard uh, members talk about and some of our guest speakers talk about is that the customers want input into how some of the decisions are made. They want to be engaged into creating their um, the experience. And so in the development of life, you talk about how you did that through the collaboration and the collaborative um, arrangement. So do you do the same around the social programming? How do you determine what to bring in? Yeah, so for each life property, depending on the client profile, the program will be curated um, for each property. It's not a set formula. Um, So each property will have what we call an ambassador of buzz. So this is like a community manager, partnership manager, um, who goes to build partnerships with the local community um, to bring in these activities and also engage with the guests to understand um, what the needs are. So for instance, when we started out, our collaboration with Singapore Management University, we thought the students would be interested in events like, you know, um, how to dress up for your interview um, and more fun events. But it turns out that they're actually very career-driven and they wanted talks about, you know, things like user experience, um, how do I start a business. So we tweaked that, um, the events we brought, brought in. So we partnered General because um, they have an office in Singapore. So we have... Um, almost a monthly series of talks by them on things like uh, user experience, gamification, more serious topics. We brought in TEDx before to do a talk as well. Um, and we also have like partners like Nikon coming in with photography workshops for the hobbyists among the, the students that we, we work with and the public that we engage in the space as well. So it's um, through you know trial and error to through some of these events and we look at the turnout and the feedback and then we'll tweak the events um, along the way with, with the guests that we have at each property. So it's very much an interactive, uh, constant feedback type of process. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating that you really are kind of creating that community and being creative about how you're engaging with that community mm-hmm. and both using technology in the spaces, but also yeah, creating those spaces for people to interact and meet the needs. And as we know, the needs of people will be different depending upon different cities and, right. and different demographics. So certainly a really interesting approach to so thinking about and imagining the buildings of, of tomorrow and, and, and really, really amazing, really interesting project, Mindy. Mm-hmm. We, uh, listen, well, we thank you so much for joining us here on Navigating the Noise. I think hearing more about the work that you're doing, getting the specifics around how you're creating that community and how you're doing that work is really helpful. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome, everybody, to Section 3 of the podcast, Three Things to Do. This is where Marianne and I look back over the episode and give you 
three things you can do, three really pragmatic things you can do today to get ready for tomorrow. And on this episode, we were looking at the buildings of tomorrow. And it was an interesting episode. I didn't actually know where this one was going to go. Mm -hmm. It was kind of fun because we we're thinking about, well, the built environment and physical buildings, or it could be technology. Of course, me as the geek, I'm always trying to find, okay, what's the technology angle? Trying to, in, in, trying to insert a robot into exactly. the process. Get, okay. can, yeah. can, we, can we get a robot in That's there? That's right. So we're trying to find lots of different areas for that. But I, I was really surprised and really surprised with this list of three things to do. And I think it's, uh, I feel pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. right? So let's, let's start. So okay. I think number one is start small. I think this was a great piece of advice mm -hmm. that when it comes to thinking about the, the buildings of the future, and it could be technology, it could be a change in it, that you can just smart, start small. Start with a little something here. Do, a, do a, a, a little something that might give you a little bit of ROI or that might make things easier for you or easier for your guests or other people in the ecosystem. But I do think there was one caution there from one of our guests, which was great, is that as you do start small mm -hmm. and as you pick solutions or pick devices, you should really consider an enterprise solution, mm -hmm. not so much a consumer solution. Now, we're not saying you, you wouldn't do a consumer solution, but really understand that for you and in your business, that an enterprise solution, because you have, there, it's just different. It's different than if you just buy something off the internet and put it in your home. There's just a lot more um, caution that you need to take from, um, from bringing in these, these devices into the spaces. And then I also liked what um, Sean brought in, uh, the aspect of retrofitting, because I think that's directly relevant to a lot of our member companies. So look for some uh, different solutions and being able to work in the spaces you're already in. Um, and so minimally, there are a lot of uh, Internet of Things options that leverage smartphones and devices with more interconnectivity that there's not a huge outlay of cash that you need to um, go ahead and invest in this. But um, you can start small that way. Yeah, that's definitely well. that, that start small and then see if it works, see if mm -hmm. it's there. So that's number one. Number two is be creative. Now, this is one, Marianne, I know you like and you've got some really good ideas and that. So I'm just going to go to you first. So be creative. So, um, you know, being creative with resources at hand. So think through the guest experience from beginning to end and what is the technology that touches their experience with you and how can that be enhanced, whether the uh, end user, the guest or client sees it or not. So it could be the smart appliances um, that alert you before they start working. It can be just some little step that you begin um, uh, and, and just be creative with the resources that you have at hand. Yeah, and I took it, you know, being the futurist, took it a little bit further out. And that's what I liked about the be creative is be creative in how you think of your buildings mm. and be creative how you think of your built environments. Yes, certainly they are the buildings of the t today, but how can you be creative and think of them as the buildings of tomorrow as well? How will they evolve? I mean, mm -hmm. one of the things we heard time and time again on the show was there's only going to be more space. There's right. only going to be more people. There's only going to be need more. There's only going to be more need for the built environment. So think about your buildings today. What would they be like when they were the buildings of tomorrow? So that's number two. And number three, which is this, here's the unexpected one. I did not see this one coming. Number three is create oh. community. Mm -hmm. Where that's not just a, that, it's not a, uh, that's a physical thing. How do you use your physical space when you're building your space, retrofitting, redesigning? How do you create a physical space so that community can flourish? Now, whether that be for a group of business travelers mm -hmm. or people who are there together or, or people who are there on vacation, or how do you have that, that single traveler who doesn't want to remain in her or his room and they want to get out and be around people? How can you think of that building as tomorrow by creating community? 
And I think George touched on um, a, a related aspect. So not only the space, the physical space, but having activities to engage residents socially. You know, and he used a term and, and avoid having um, isolated guests. So I guess now it's isolated guest syndrome. So, you know, avoid having those individual guests that arrive and that are always in their um, little space themselves. So creating some kind of almost not necessarily forced, but opportunities for them to engage with other people that might be in similar situations. Yeah, and I really, I really like that as our third thing. So mm-hmm. those are your three things to do. Number one, start small. Number two, be creative. Number three, create community. And if you do those three things today, you can start having your building of tomorrow. You can start to have a concept around that. And those are your three things to do. Marianne, you want to take us to the exit? Thank you, everyone, for listening to Navigating the Noise podcast brought to you by CHPA and ASAP. Reach out to us and let us know what else you'd like to hear, what else you'd like to ask BDJ, or just help us stump the futurists by emailing me at map at chpaonline.org, follow us on Twitter at chpaonline, or visit our website, www.chpaonline.org. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here on Navigating the Noise, brought to you by CHPA and ASAP. We'll talk to you again soon.